you know, Christmas, it gets so busy doing stuff and buying gifts and decorating, getting the tree out and all the stuff that we do for our usual Christmas that sometimes, you know, we don't take time to just think about how amazing it really is, the season and what we're celebrating. We're only six days away now, and uh, it just we just get so busy, we can kind of go through the motions because we're so busy at work and so busy at home, so busy buying gifts and doing stuff, decorating. But it's absolutely an amazing story that of uh, God becoming a baby and being born in a manger like 2,000 years ago because he loved you and me like that much. He said, I'm going to become a baby. Like, who would think like that? I mean, that's the last thing I would think. I, <laughs> I was a baby once. That was enough for me. But uh, he knew. But he already knew what that was going to detail. He knew all the stuff about that. But he loved us so much. He goes, I have to come into this earth as a man to redeem man back to, to the Father. So I'm going to come and be born in this world as a baby. So... Uh, the 2,000 years ago. So Amos 3.7 says, well, let me say this first. Today I want to look at the Christmas story through a prophetic, prophetic perspective. Different prophecies that talk about the birth and the young childhood of Jesus' life. Because the story of Christmas is absolutely amazing. And there was prophecies given hundreds, even 1,000 plus years, 1,800 to 2,000 years before Jesus walked on the earth. There was very specific prophecies about his birth and his life uh, long before he walked on the planet. Amen. Now, that is absolutely amazing when you think about that. that was, uh, but, you know, when we hear it so often, or we know these things, we have a, tune, a tendency just like, oh, yeah, I know that. I know that. And we, we, we all do that at different things. But when we want to stop and think about it today, like, how amazing is it really, the Christmas story that we celebrate every year? Amen. Amos 3, 7 says, Surely the Lord does nothing, does nothing, unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. So before God does anything, he always reveals his secrets or his plans to his prophets. Now this is absolutely, especially true with the coming of Jesus, because that's a pretty major deal. A major theme of the Old Testament was a coming Messiah. There was a Messiah coming. There's actually over 332 specific prophecies about the coming Messiah. We're going to look at no, not 300 today. We're going to look at 10. And those 10 are all about around the birth or the young infancy of Jesus. So we'll start going through those now. The first one is the birth of our Savior or Messiah from Isaiah 9 6. Did I say Messiah? Okay, I said that right. <laughs> like, I was thinking, did I say something wrong? Anyway, Isaiah 9 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah wrote this, and he wrote this more than 700 years before Jesus walked on the planet. More than 700 years before he said, there's a child going to be born, a, a child going to be given to us. And the, the government's going to be on his shoulder. The government of the kingdom of God is on Jesus' shoulders. And his name is called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Amen? And he is all those and so much more, too. That's number one. Number two is Christ be born to a virgin. Could you imagine the day that God spoke to you, Isaiah, to write this one down? Did I hear you right, God? Because no, that's never happened before, okay? We, we, we read these books so long, we just think, oh, yeah, well, that was Isaiah. He was special. He was a man just like the man in here. He, but he had to hear God. So he, he says, 
He's going to be born to a virgin? How is that possible? So this is Isaiah 7, 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. And in the New Testament, in Matthew, it says this in Matthew 1, 23. It says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this particular prophecy actually has two parts. There's the first part is, it says the virgin will conceive. So we know that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph was not his earthly father. He was an important role model, important uh, male figure in his life, but he's not his actual father. His actual father is God himself. Amen? That's amazing. So let me show you this in Matthew 120. It says, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take, take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She became pregnant by a, the supernatural power of God and conceived Jesus in her belly by the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, not Joseph. Okay, so um, Jesus was, uh, the second part of this prophecy I want to make mention of is it says she was born to a virgin. So I'll give you a little scientific fact for those of you that don't know. In case you don't know, a little science here, that conception and birth are not the same thing. Okay? I want you to think about what you're reading for a second, okay? Conception, she conceived, she became pregnant, but there was nine months between the time she got pregnant and the time that Jesus was born. Some of you guys have been there, right? So there's lots of time for that young married lady named Mary to lose her virginity. Do you get what I'm saying? This, this made me have a whole new level of respect for Joseph. I'm just going to say that as a man right now. Like, I just want to put it out there. Okay, I'll show you what I'm talking about here in a second. Matthew, uh, amen, I mean, might as well be real. Matthew 1, 24, 25. I didn't know much about Joseph, but this guy, hats off to him. Kudos to him, respect. Uh, and Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But kept her aversion until she gave birth to, Jesus, to the son, and he called his name Jesus. So whether J Joseph knew this prophecy, if he knew that he was fulfilling a prophecy or not, by waiting until after the birth, we don't know if he knew or not, but either way, the prophecy was fulfilled, both parts. She conceived as a virgin, and she gave birth as a virgin. That's amazing, amen? amen. That's part of the story sometimes we just read over and we don't think about, yeah, 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 we know. But think about that. Like, that's not normal. That she had, her and Joseph both would have had a very difficult life, especially in the beginning, because the stigma of being pregnant without being married and, uh, and who is going to believe her, they thought she was nuts to say, okay, whatever, Mary. Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay, yeah, like, whatever. <laughs> like, like, that's never happened, you know. But they walked it out and praised God um, for, for the, that part of the story. That's number two. Number three, Christ will be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2. It says, The Lord says, Bethlehem, you might not be an important town in the, in the nation of Judah, but out of you will come a ruler over Israel for me. His family line goes back to the early years of your nation. It goes all the way back to the days of long ago. So Micah's time on earth overlapped the time of Isaiah. So this prophecy is also about 700 years before Jesus walked on the planet. And we can see this prophecy fulfilled in Matthew 2, verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. 
So it says there, after he was born in Bethlehem. And 700 years before he was born in Bethlehem, a prophet spoke it, because God reveals everything to prophets first before it happens, and it revealed it to him 700 years ahead of time. You think about that. That's amazing. Imagine you prophesying something 700 years in the future today. I mean, you're not even going to know, like that's, you won't even, seven generations from now, whatever, you don't even know who that person's going to be that, that fulfills it. It's amazing faith to say those things. That's number three, born in Bethlehem. Number four is Jesus and his lineage. We know from Scripture that Messiah was going to come through the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It prophesied being born through Judah, Jesse, and also King David. So that's six people it said it's going to be through this line. Before, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, the, the chance of that happening. But let me show you this fulfillment, in Jer- well, a prophecy, excuse me, in Jeremiah who said this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Amen. Amen. He's prophesying the birth of Messiah, the Lord, our righteousness or our righteous Savior. Again, 700 years before, well, more than that, actually, for this one because it goes back all the way into Genesis, some of these prophecies. It's 1,800 years to 1,000 years before Jesus was born, these, some of these prophecies were given. That's amazing. How old is America right now? I mean, John. Uh, it's old, but not, I mean, it's not 1,000. It's not, 18, I mean, I guess the land is old as a, land anywhere, but as a nation, you know, that's amazing. So we see the fulfillment of Christ's genealogy in Matthew 1 and, and uh, Luke 3. You probably remember reading that on Christmas story days or whatever. So-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so. And often I skip those pages because, I mean, after a while, like, I can't even pronounce the names hardly, let alone say begotten that many times. But I want to show you this, uh, Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham showing that he was born in that lineage that was prophesied about long before, again, before he walked on the planet. So Matthew's version of this genealogy went from Abraham all the way to Jesus, and Luke's version went from Jesus back in time all the way to Adam. That's going a long ways back. But both of these genealogies went through Joseph's side of the family and not Mary's. So just as important as Mary was, to be born, to have a vir- to be born, have you get pregnant as a virgin, and give birth to Jesus. It was also important who the father would be, the one who would raise him, because his genealogy goes back, traced all the way to Adam and through Abraham and all that. And so Joseph was just as important in this fulfillment of the prophecy as Mary was. So sometimes, sometimes Joseph doesn't get a lot of credit because he seemed to die uh, early, and so we don't know a lot about him. But uh, he actually had some tough roads to go through, and he. He walked the whole way, remember, and she got on the donkey? That would be great to be on a donkey and pregnant, but both of them is a rough situation, right? So uh, number five, he would be worshipped by shepherds. Psalm 72, verse 9 says, May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. There's where uh, another one bites the dust may have came from. I'm not sure, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway... Who was this desert tribe that they're talking about here? And, and I'm thinking about it, and I read the verses about it. It's probably the shepherds, or it could possibly be the magi who traveled from, you know, from Orient R, from really far. could be both. But let me show you this in Luke 2, 15 through 20. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, 
Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about them, about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and her, which were just as they had been told. So this prophecy about these shepherd tribes bowing down before him and the enemies licking the dust could have easily been these shepherds that were out there watching their, watching their sheep and all of a sudden this heavenly host comes and they just imagine being there that night. You wouldn't want to call in sick that night and say, I don't think I'm going to tend the sheep tonight. You're like, imagine the next day, you can't believe what you missed yesterday. Uh, I mean, just amazing, heavenly host, who knows how many thousands singing and proclaiming the, the, the mysteries of God and that Jesus birthed and his coming and all that, just amazing stuff. So, so that the, either the shepherds or the wise men were the ones that bowed down and worshiped Jesus. We know they both did. But it says the enemy would lick the dust. Now, what enemy do you think is going to lick the dust? I have an opinion about that. Yeah, I think it's back in Genesis 3.14. It says, So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Okay, he's not. He's still a belly-licking, dust-licking thing like he was before. <laughs> Belly licking, a belly crawling. I meant to say, a belly licking. <laughs> oh, Merry Christmas. Uh, anyway, he's belly crawling, dirt licking. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> Pray for me. Yes, God. So, yeah, yeah. So he, I mean, he hasn't grown into this big, magical, more powerful thing. Now I said it last week. He's been dethroned. He's been defeated. He's taken out of the way. All our sins nailed to the cross. The things that empowered him uh, was taken out of the way, nailed to the cross. We are now children of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that was number five. And forget what I said. <laughs> Try. So six. A star would point the way towards Christ. Numbers twenty four seventeen. I see him, but now I, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel, and shall crush through the forehead of Moab, and tear down all the sons of Sheep. So, do you, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this verse. It's, I mean, I don't know how much time you spend in numbers, but do you know who prophesied this particular prophecy? It was actually Balaam, okay? So Balaam, the famous the prophet who was rebuked by the donkey, you know, that guy? So he prophesied this approximately 1,600 years before Christ was born. In that prophecy where he was supposed to be cursed, the, the king came to try to get him to curse Israel. In that time he was supposed to be cursed them, all of a sudden this prophecy and this blessing came over them. He goes, I can't curse what God's blessed. And he started declaring that a star was going to come one day and, show, and point the way to this coming Messiah. And I heard Robert Morse say this week, actually, that Balaam is believed by many to be the father of the Magi. So the Magi were the ones that would, would have seen this star coming out of Jacob and pointing the way towards Israel, pointing the way towards our Messiah. So uh, I'm going to show you this in Matthew 1, 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. 
So they're fulfilling the prophecy from Numbers that Balaam spoke. Now, it's absolutely amazing to me. These guys traveled for, who knows, six, nine months. I can't remember how many thousand miles, probably from Persia. And, I mean, who would do that today? You think about, like, they were seriously committed. These guys were magicians. Magi, you get a word, magicians. They weren't necessarily followers of Christ. I think they became followers, as, at least for nine months. But I'm sure after they saw him, their life were changed. They opened up their treasuries and poured out all their gold, frankincense, and myrrh when they saw Jesus. And uh, these, these men moved, moved from, traveled that far in the period of six, nine months to go see this following a star. Now, something must have convinced them, besides just the star, that let's, say, let's go on a long journey. I mean, this was a big deal. But if you think about this story, how amazing is that? You know, we sing the song so much since we were born, we kind of kind of gets like, yeah, 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 wise men, yeah, they did this, and yeah, they did that. But when you stop to think about it, that's absolutely amazing. Imagine you traveling for six to nine months. They go to, I don't know where you'd have to go, but somewhere a long ways away, <laughs> walking to California or something. They, I mean, it'd be a major deal. So uh, that was number six. Number seven, they would be presented with uh, gifts uh, to him. Psalm 72, 10, and 11. Many, may the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. Again, this is spoken roughly a thousand years before Christ was born. And we saw that fulfilled through the, the Magi, the wise men who came with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See this in Matthew 2.11. On the coming to the house, not to, this, not to the manger, okay, this is probably a couple years later, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Absolutely amazing, a thousand years before Christ, and they just prophesied these things beforehand. Number eight, there'd be great sorrow surrounding the time of his birth, and many children would be killed. A sad part of the story. Jeremiah 31, 15. There's a voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. Prophesied 600 years before this took place. And we see this fulfilled in Matthew 2, also, Matthew 2 16, 17. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in his vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. Uh, then, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah, which we just read, was fulfilled. Great mourning and weeping. That would be absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible for everyone around there. But they didn't care. They wanted to kill Jesus. Number nine. Christ would be called to escape to Egypt. Hosea 11, 1. When, when is, Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Again, Hosea lived the same time as Micah, same time as Isaiah, and so about 700 years before it happened. Is that not amazing? Okay, so we see this fulfilled. Next one I'll show you. Hope I'm not going too fast. You guys are following me. But uh, Matthew 2.13, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And that's where they went in and killed all the children, two years old and under, all around. Uh, it would just be horrible. And imagine Jesus later, he would grow up knowing what happened uh, around his time of his birth and how God warned him to get out of town. You've got to get out of here because if not, 
you're in danger. So all these things, again, happened so many years before Jesus was born. When you think about that, how amazing is this Christmas story? It's just amazing. Last one, number 10. Now this one, you got to listen carefully because it's, it's one of those ones from the prophet Daniel 9. And uh, I'm not going to talk about this too much, Marshall. And you know, <laughs> but because uh, there's a lot of interpretations for these verses and I don't have time to go into all that today. But Matthew 9, 24 through 26. This is Gabriel came and said this to Daniel. He said, a period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion and put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to, com- to confirm the prophetic vision and to anoint the most holy place. And in the notes there, the most holy place could also say the most holy one. So talking about Jesus, okay? Verse 25. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. I'll explain that in a minute. But that's some of the fun of reading the Bible right there, guys. It's the mystery. It's the trying to figure some of this stuff out. Um, Jerusalem will be, be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses, despite the perilous times. 26. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The, enemy will, the end will come with a flood and war and its mi- miseries and, decree, and are decreed from the time to the very end. All right, now, again, this is a very complicated Three scriptures. Many people have many different opinions on this. I'm not going to go much into that today, but there was five things prophesied in these three verses. The first one, there was going to be a command given to rebuild Jerusalem. There was the rebuilding of Jerusalem going to happen. The, the coming of the anointed one, the killing of the anointed one, and the destruction of Jerusalem in the temple. And saying all that was going to happen in a certain amount of time. So that gives a timeline, a prophetic timeline, when Jesus was supposed to be born, and Gabriel told this to Daniel. So he broke this down into three parts. He, sa- he, sa- he mentions seven weeks, and how this works is it's 70 times seven, so it's 70, t- 70 times a week, so 70 times seven would be 490. He broke this into three parts. So seven weeks would be 49 years, 62 weeks would be 434 years, and uh, the, seven, the, the one week would be equal to seven years, totaling 490 years. Now, I will have a quiz on this, <laughs> no, but, but um, anyway, you'll get the gist of this in a minute, hopefully. So a command was given back in 457 B.C. by the king of Persia, and he decreed that the Jews are now released and are now able to go back home and they can uh, rebuild their city and rebuild their temple. That was in 457 B.C. This is, you can see this in Ezra, Ezra 7, 12-26. Now if you add, now you have to use a special calculator to do this because you're adding, you're kind of subtracting, and the, the dates and st- anyway, but I'll just give you the numbers so you don't have to do all that. Nobody, no one likes that. So, <laughs> so anyway, if you add, for the for, if you take the, the first two, the, the, the uh, excuse me, the seven weeks, which is 49 years, and the 62 weeks, the 434 years, combine them together, that equals 483 years. This part is not really debated. It's the last seven years that's debated. And this seven years is where they get our theology from the, for the tribulation, which I just... It's, it's very weak theology, just to put it that way. The, the, the whole tribulation thing, there's not much scripture, honestly, to back up that seven-week period of this. I'm, I'll share more on that later with some help from Marshall. <laughs> but anyway, but, uh, um, but anyway, that's not the point of it. But anyway, so we're focused on the 483 years. 
So you go fast forward, it's now, it's, you add those uh, 483 years to the 457 BC, it's now 27 AD. 27 AD is a time they believe that Jesus was baptized and his earthly ministry had begun. So if you go to that time, we now have three things of those five prophecies already happened in that timeline that Gabriel gave. A command to reveal Jerusalem, which is obviously done, and then the coming of the Anointed One. And his ministry started then in 27, uh, 27 AD. So then three and a half years later, we know Jesus was crucified. He had all of his ministry three and a half years later. And then the fourth part of the prophecy was fulfilled of Jesus being killed, which was given there by Gabriel. And then roughly 40 years later, the temple was destroyed. And then that was the fifth part of, the, of Gabriel's prophecy being fulfilled. So think of all these things Gabriel said to Daniel. Daniel wrote it all down. And we've been trying to understand it ever since. right? And there's as many theories on what this stuff means as probably there are books out there. But anyway, my point is, in this timeline, these things happened exactly like God said they'd happen. His Messiah was to be born, he'd be killed, Jerusalem be rebuilt, then it's going to be destroyed again. It's just like, just like Jesus, born, Israel, reborn. Just killed and destroyed. It was just very similar. So I showed you now ten prophecies from the Bible, and actually they kind of overlap even into more prophecies, but at least ten here, showing you all these different verses about a, a prophetic message from God gave of the coming of our Messiah, Jesus, and also his death. And I want to show you how amazing those prophecies are for one man to fulfill all those things in just 33 years. Okay? And really, he didn't just do those 10 things. He did 332 things. So the number, there, I don't know if there's a mathematician alive that can calculate that number. To do 332 things uh, in 33 years prophetically is absolutely amazing but Dr. Peter Stoner and Dr. Robert Newman they wrote a book entitled Science Speaks or Scientific Proof of the Accuracy of Prophecy in the Bible and in that book they took 300 of those 332 prophecies uh, oh no, no he said excuse me they took eight of the, th of the 332 prophecies and they did the math on that and to figure out what were the odds of one person in 33 years fulfilling just eight of those 330 something prophecies and the number is a number uh, higher than I've seen, but it, it calculated the odds to be 1 in 10 to the 17th power, or 1 in 1.7 sextrillion. I didn't even know that was a number. So anyway, um, Dr. Stoner calculated that if you spread out the, the, that many silver dollars, it would cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep. Now I want to give a little perspective of Texas, okay? Texas is a very large state. It's actually the second largest state in our country, Alaska being number one, which we got for a pretty good deal. And then uh, only, I think, a million dollars, pretty sweet deal for that much land. Then uh, Texas, Texas has 26, excuse me, 268,596 square miles. It's big. You can actually fit 15 of our smaller states simultaneously into the state of Texas at the same time. Like, just they can all fit in there. I'll give you these states' names including Kentucky, Virginia, Indiana, Maine, South Carolina, West Virginia, Maryland, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Hawaii, Connecticut, Delaware, and Rhode Island could all fit inside of the state of Texas. Texas is massive. And he said you could cover the whole state of Texas two feet deep with these silver corns, and that would be 1.7 uh, sextrillion, or 1 in 10 to the 17th power. So then he s went on to say, now, what do you think the odds would be if, say, one of those silver dollars were painted red 
and you sent a man out there blindfolded to walk the state of Texas and randomly stopped wherever he wanted to stop, reached down on his first try and pulled up one that they painted red, that would be the odds of one man fulfilling just eight of those prophecies in, uh, in 33 years. Imagine there's just no way. So there had to be supernatural help from God for the whole prophetic thing, for the whole Jesus coming thing, and it proves he is the Messiah. Nobody else could do that. There isn't another Messiah coming. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. And, he, and, and so it's him that we, we, we look to. We don't look for someone else to come. Amen? That's, those odds are just amazing. So that's exactly what Jesus did. Amen? He fulfilled not eight, not the ten I showed you, but more than 300 prophecies in 33 years. So the math, math of that would be, I don't even know if anyone could calculate that. If, if only 8 is 1.76 trillion, I don't know what in the world 332 would be. But anyway, there isn't coming another Buddha. There isn't coming another Muhammad. There isn't coming another prophet. There isn't coming another Messiah. There, he already has come, and his name is Jesus. He's the one and only, uh, our Lord and Savior and God. And this scientifically, I mean, you, you believe it anyway, but scientifically proves there isn't anyone else coming. It's him. And your, your salvation has already been paid for. Amen? It's been paid for. 